0: All right, let's get started. Uh, Hello, everyone. My name is Cliff Smith with the Middle East Forum. I'm the Washington Project Director. And today we have a a somewhat unusual webinar that I think you'll find very enlightening. Uh, A while back, the Middle East Forum came into recipient of documents detailing almost 46,000 grants, totaling over $770 million, made by a uh, charitable organization, um, controlled and run by the Qatari regime called the Sheikh Ibn Muhammad Al-Thani Charitable Association, otherwise known as the Eid Charity. And these grants went to, among other things, radical Islamic organizations all around the world. Investigators from the Middle East Forum, as well as some of our friends and partners, have been researching these grants and the organizations that they funded for months. Just recently, they published a series of op-eds detailing a number of these grants and where they went to. And um, they've been writing articles about their findings in the last few weeks and uh, where they went. And today joining me is three of those people that have studied these grants, studied the organizations they went to, and um, tried to come kind of understand what is happening with Qatar and with the organizations they are funding. Um, specifically, joining me today is Martha Lee of the Middle East Forms um, Islamist Watch Project. Apinev Pandya of the USANIS Foundation, based in India, and Jordan Cope of the Director of Policy uh, Education with Stand With Us, and the Qatari Finance Fellow at the Middle East Forum. Um, Anyhow, I'm going to ask you guys a series of questions. Um, Some will be directed to you guys generally, otherwise will be directed to you guys specifically. um, But you can answer um, as you see fit. Um, But let's start with the very basics. Um, what is the Eid Charity and what is this relationship to the Qatari royal Family? Anybody wants to answer that? Yeah, go ahead and start. Martha, why don't you give it a shot?
1: Yes. Um, so Eid Charity is, has been described by the government as a semi-governmental organization. So I think it's uh, quite evident that they, that they have ties to the regime. Um, they've also participated in a number um, of events where their, their strategy and policies were, um, were said to be organized along um, with the Qatari government. So I think there's really um, little doubt that they seem to be working hand in hand and that um, AID's projects are certainly not independent from Qatari policies. Mm-hmm.
0: And what exactly do they do on a day-to-day basis as an organization?
1: Um, so I see, it's it, it seems that their um, their main activity is to distribute um, the grants that we'll be speaking about today. So they're um, active um, throughout the world and, uh,
0: and many in, many
1: different countries.
0: And do you believe all of these are to um, promote the regime's policies, or or is it just general? Some do and some don't. And how how do you view their mo?
1: for example, I wouldn't say necessarily that every single organization they've given to is Islamist, I don't think we can um, say that for sure, but I think that just the fact that so many of the um, organizations that have received grants from AID are um, tied to either lawful Islamist or even um, Islamist terrorist organization does um, indicate a clear pattern of support for extremism.
0: Certainly uh jordan uh, your recent article focuses mostly on recipients actually in the middle east um, and it noted in one section uh, and i quote the al-isan charitable society recipient of nearly 17.8 million and a terrorist organization designated by egypt saudi arabia united arab emirates and bahrain for their connections to al-qaeda and i was wondering um this is obviously a pretty um striking and um, overt act of funding a, uh, a terrorist organization. Uh, how typical of that is the, the funds distributed by the e-charity in the Middle East based
2: on what you've seen? So Cliff, I actually had uh, two articles on, on the subject, and I happened to do some translation work. So I got to see the documents firsthand and to see the organizations they were going to. And funding for terrorist organizations is nothing that was Um, So discreet, it obviously mentioned the name of the organizations that receive such funding, such as the Al-Issan, which received approximately 17 million dollars, and is reported to be headed by a former member of um, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula's Hazrami Council, Um, his name is Abdullah Al-Yazimi. And so there are a bunch of other charities affiliated with Al-Issan, such as the Rahma Charity Foundation, Um, which is also designated by the Quartet. Um, Other concerning organizations included the al-Hikmah al-Yemaniya which received approximately 6.5 million dollars and upon further research it was discovered that they helped smuggle fighters um, into Iraq and were also reported to have provided material support for al-Qaeda leaders in Yemen and Saudi Arabia Um, and these weren't the only organizations um, that warranted calls of attention. Many Hamas affiliates also received money. Um, IHH, a uh, Islamist organization from Turkey that is designated as a terrorist organization in certain parts of the world, um, received a whopping $23.2 million. And so it becomes evident um, throughout the receipts that I helped translate that Qatar has helped disguise um, it's funding for Islamist and terrorist organizations as humanitarian relief.
0: Yeah, so, so in other words, you see the, that, you know, that one particular, you know, sort of striking thing um, that I mentioned it, it is not unique. You've seen many such things in, in similar
2: ways. It's certainly not unique. Um, in regards to Hamas affiliates, I identified approximately um, six to uh, six just straight off the bat. Um, that happened to have ties with Hamas. Um, one organization, for instance, even happened to invite um, Isma'il Haniyeh, um, the, uh, the head of the political bureau of uh, Hamas, to their events. Um, other organizations included um, Jamia al-Mujama'a al-Islami, whose Khan Yunus branch in Gaza actually shares the exact same name of the organization, al-Mujama'a al-Islami, um, that was actually founded by the founder of Hamas, Sheikh Ahmed Yassin. And so you see a lot of these organizations, the Islamic Charitable Society of Hebron, uh, received about $5 million and is reported to have been um, a part of Hamas's da'wah network between 2000 2004. The Jerusalem International Foundation, another notorious organization designated by the United States, um, received about $3.7 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ibn Ba'z Charitable Society, um, the society's president has previously expressed a will for closer cooperation with Hamas. And um, the uh, the Al-Nusra Charitable Society which has ties to the Ibn Ba'z Society, which as I aforementioned, um, has expressed a will to get closer with Hamas. And so you see these trends recurring time and time again. And I think one of the most shocking discoveries was, and it wasn't necessarily something new, but the receipts inspired an investigation um, into the Qatar Committee for the Reconstruction of Gaza, giving all this funding, where we discovered $3 million donated, despite the org having received many, many millions of dollars in the past. And what we saw was something striking, and that was posts that have since been taken down from the Facebook page of the organization, but pictures ultimately depicting um, the head of the Qatar Committee for the Reconstruction of Gaza, a state um, charity, um, Ambassador Mohammed al-Ahmadi, meeting members of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad who have no real humanitarian efforts and they refuse to engage in the political process. So this excuse of Qatar using um, charity and relations with Hamas and other terrorist organizations as a means of serving as an intermediary in the region simply is not true. The funding to a large degree, as well as their political ideologies, endorse Islamist ideologies and terrorist organizations. And I think we learned that a lot through the receipts. Got it.
0: Uh, Apinev, um, it is no secret that Qatar is increasingly aligned with Pakistan and thus de facto in opposition to India's interests. So perhaps it comes as no great surprise that, as you put in your article, over 1,200 transactions made to India, either directly under the name of each charity or through individual contributions, a total of 28.49 million—that um, is, 7.82 million in U.S. dollars—was transferred to eight Salafi-based Islamist organizations in India. Um, with, Wahhabia, with Wahhabism being the Salaf, um, the version of Salafism being the national creed. Of Qatar, can you explain a little on um, what you found in these grants and um, how you think it helps the Qatari regime's goals?
3: Thank you so much for inviting me today. In fact, I must say that this is a very, very critical national security issue for India. And uh, you know, as uh, I found in this, the, these 1200 transactions that this has been going on since 2008. But unfortunately, the the case in India is a little complicated and a little more convoluted and mysterious, I must say, because the state intelligence agencies in Kerala uh, and some of the national level intelligence agencies, they were flagging the, you know, I would say the the infiltration of the foreign money money, to some organizations like PFI for the last three decades. But due to some political reasons and uh, you know uh, because it suited some of the political actors, the issue was never taken seriously. Then in two thousand twelve, there was one news website, you know, the not very prominent. Uh, uh, they also revealed a set of documents, you know, which uh, brought forth these transactions. But most importantly, in the each charity, this you know the, the, the recent investigation which I did, you know, I came across the, this data. I mean, this was the most I would say, you know, detailed. Uh, Uh, exposing on how they were uh, uh, funneling money and the interesting part is that you know it was the 1200 transactions were there and they came to uh, the aid groups basically and most interesting let me just know yes so there's a long list okay the largest transaction came to salafi philanthropic society it's a kerala based group and the total number of transactions was 769 and it, it in figures it was 4.9 4.9 US million dollar. Now it must be brought to uh, to, uh, to highlight that uh, Kerala is the state which sent the highest number of foreign fighters to ISIS from India. And Kerala has been witnessing a very strong onslaught of Wahhabi extremist influence over the last two to three decades, because there's this huge population of expatriates, the Kerala people working in the Middle Eastern countries, in the Gulf countries, and they come under these, uh, especially the Middle Eastern Wahhabi or extremist influences. And certainly, I mean, because of those linkages, they are able to better exploit like uh, what, these, uh, what this charity funnels into India. Now, most interestingly, I'll just bring uh, some more facts, you know, which will be of interest to the audience and the people interested in counterterrorism. Salafi Philanthropic Society uh, uh, is, also has ties with RAF, that's another Qatar charity which has uh, you know, a strong relationship with the Al Qaeda affiliates like Jabat al Nusra and Muslim Brotherhood Surah. And then uh, the, uh, Dr. Hussain Madhwo. He is heading the Kerala Philanthropic Society. And Dr. Hussain Madhavur is also uh, uh, the head of Kerala Nadwa Mujahideen, which is the largest Salafi group of Kerala. And in the past, many people uh, with ISIS, uh, I mean, who later on joined ISIS, they were found to have uh, previous links with this organization. Uh, though in public domain the organization the claims to be a progressive organization but it has been found in various incidents that they disseminate very radical and extremist content so this gentleman dr hussain Mad- madwadu he in a facebook video message openly praised dr mm M., uh, mr mm M. akbar and mr mm akbar is known as the Zakir Nayak of Kerala, and we all know who Mr. Zakir Nayak is. Mr. Zakir Nayak was the head of the Peace Education Foundation, and he allegedly inspired the ISIS attackers in Bangladesh. And after that, I mean, since then, he has been absconding from India, and he was always preaching very radical extremist content. Now, many employees of the Peace Education Foundation, of which Mr. M.M. Akbar was the head they were found to have ties with the ISSK. In fact, the main coordinator of ISKP in Kerala, Abdul Rashid Abdullah, he was once the employee of Peace Foundation. And Mr. M.M. Akbar allegedly, as told by Abdul Rashid Abdullah, he tried to protect the identity of two of the employees of the Peace Foundation because they had traveled to Afghanistan to join ISIS. So, I mean, I just want to highlight how these organizations in Kerala which are receiving, which received this biggest grant from the each charity, they have very strong ties with the ISIS affiliates or the people who are joining ISIS. Okay, And in their schools, they were already teaching uh, very extremist content. Secondly, another large cache went to the Symposium Educational Charitable Society, which was nowhere else, uh, to be found in the public domain, no online presence, nothing. But then we found that they were sending money to a very remote district in UP that's a Siddharth Nagar district. And I mean, in uh, superficially or in the public domain, uh, most of the people would say that they were sending money to build masks or some kind of welfare works, but they were funding money to Al Farut, which is an organization with Salafi beliefs working in that area, and the organization was uh, very active against the Barelvi and the Sufi Muslims, which is a liberal, I would say, mildly liberal and a local strain of Islam, but at odds with the Wahhabi extremists, and uh, they were trying to, uh, I mean, involve in polarizing activities, communal activities. So I mean, this is, you know, I'll just uh, address the other issues later when you ask more questions, but uh, this is what I want to highlight that some of these organizations with they have very strong links with the people who joined ISIS or nurtured those kind of ideologies. And they are trying to reach out to the very small and remote parts of India. Uh, okay. Um,
0: fascinating that it is so close to even ISIS. That's, uh, that's really shocking. Um, Martha, uh, you focused mostly on money going to European countries. And you detailed several instances similar, I suppose, to Apinev that um, gifts were going um, to mosques that had very close ties with ISIS, including one where an ISIS recruited, recruiter regularly preached prior to his arrest. Um, was it prevalent, do you think, that gifts were given in Europe to mosques that had ISIS recruiters? Um, and do you think they had a goal in de facto of supporting ISIS in this way, or is this sort of a side effect?
1: Um, so I think, um... So Europe received only a small portion. So as Cliff mentioned, um, there was a total of seven hundred seventy, 70 770 million um, just globally distributed. Europe got a small portion. But what's interesting in Europe is that uh, I think mosques often struggle to find um, enough funding, um, such as in France. So I think that gives Qatar um, a huge influence when they're giving, when they were di- just giving as much money to these, um, to these Islamic centers, and so. Um, Yeah, I think it's very interesting that in all these different countries in Europe that we looked at, um, mosque after mosque was directly tied to ISIS or Al-Qaeda, this type of um, terrorist organization. So I think uh, you mentioned there was um, one that had an ISIS uh, preacher who was there um, regularly. Um, and at the time, the Swedish security ser- um, service, because this one was in Sweden, said there was a clear picture of radicalization and recruitment um, at that mosque. And another uh, mosque also in Sweden, where the imam applauded ISIS for taking over the Iraqi city of Mosul, this was 2014, and even encouraged his followers to finance ISIS. So, uh, um as for whether Qatar is uh, directly supporting um, ISIS, I don't think that this is, gives us enough um, information to say. But I, but I think it's uh, undeniable that Qatar is clearly supporting um, extremism throughout Europe. And as we can see with these ties to ISIS and al-Qaeda, that can, that can directly lead to people being radicalized and eventually to terrorist attacks.
0: Fascinating. Um- So I'm gonna ask one more question and then we'll go to audience questions. So if any of the audience um, would like to ask a question, go into the Q&A section and you can type in a question that uh, can hopefully be asked on the air. Um, And um, in the meantime, we've got one more. Um, Also, Martha, you noticed in your article up until 2014, Saudi Arabia was pumping a lot of money into foreign Islamic organizations, many of which were troubling, but that has been massively scaled back in the past seven years or so. Um, and the, Saudi Arabia further, as everybody knows, now considers organizations like the Muslim Brotherhood a threat rather than sort of a partner. Um, and you mentioned in your article that Qatar has more or less seemed to take over where Saudi Arabia let off. Um, and this goes to all of you and you can all answer in anything you wanna say, um, do you think this has any wider implications about um, extremism, extremism funding, US strategy, you know, Indian or Middle Eastern strategy? And what is it, you know, how should this fact be handled and what does it mean, I suppose?
1: Um, I'll just say that I think that because Saudi Arabia funded extremism for so long, I think that uh, many uh, lawmakers are maybe not necessarily say updated and still maybe see Saudi as the main threat. But I think uh, what these grants tell us is that Qatar has clearly replaced um, Saudi as the main um, fund um, funding source for Islamist extremism. And I think that future policies need to take that into account.
0: Um the, um, the uh, US government um, has n- historically had a decent relationship with Qatar. Do any of you and any of you can answer this? Um, do you think that any of this kind of information is seeping into the US government? Um, I mean, what I'm asking, do you think the United States has a um, How should I put this? They have a way of addressing this. I think that's what's being asked. They have, a, they have a method of addressing these kind of problems with Qatar or are they
2: just fully putting their head in the sand? I would like to take this if that's possible. I sure. think there's sufficient evidence to show that this is not a, a partisan problem. This is something across the whole political spectrum in that American politicians and our governments are actively engaging with with Qatari leaders, whether that be in the Qatari Business Council, whether that be uh, previous officials, secretaries of state in particular, and and multiple administrations have recognized the strong role that Qatar plays. We trust Qatar to provide us with uh, a military safe haven in the Al-Udayd Air Base. Um, we, We afford them so much opportunity to serve our country, but at the end of the day, Um, It is my belief that Qatar is not a real ally, as they continue to fund terrorist organizations and Islamist organizations throughout the region that threaten American security. And at the same time, they're also giving funding to American universities. Um, And there is such a strong tie between Qatar and the United States today. And the fact that our country doesn't better realize um, the security threat that Qatar poses is, is concerning, and I think we need to remember that reportedly in the past, um, Qatar actually uh, reportedly hosted Khalid Sheikh Mohammed um, between the years, if I recall correctly, 1993 and 1996. And it's rumored that Qatar might have actually even helped Khalid Sheikh Mohammed um, escape when the US was closing in, um, eventually escaping to Pakistan. And so we really need to reevaluate whether all of these benefits, um, lucrative benefits that Qatar affords the United States, is it worth it?
0: Yeah, so there's a related question that an audience member is asking, and that is from David Levine. Um, We have an administration in Washington that willfully ignores or denies the dangers of radical Islam. Look at how they managed to turn the Texas synagogue attack into, I'm not sure what their motives were. How can we ever, through the most research, such as the speakers present, possibly translate into effective government action when our own governments um, subverts such corrective action. So yeah, I guess what that's really asking is, you know, what would be a step that Washington could take, does anybody think that could sort of be effective policy it's trying to push back against this? I guess you could go answer that too, Jordan.
2: I have to be careful how I answer this and in which role. I would start off by just saying education is key educating our congressmen and our congresswomen and our senators about the dangers that the Qatari government poses, the funding that it provides to Hamas, um, the the assistance it's provided to Muslim Brotherhood affiliates in Egypt um, and Yemen, throughout uh, North Africa and the Middle East. Um, We need to start with that. Um, I think that is ultimately what I can emphasize today. I'll let others, I guess, take away if they want to um, discuss further specific policies. Anybody else?
3: Uh, Cliff, can I, can I just take this question? Uh, sure. I'm, uh, though I'm not an expert in American issues and American affairs, but I, I seriously feel that, especially among the American political class, there seems to be a very acute uh, lack of understanding, especially when it comes to these radical extremist ideologies so i must say it's not just about you know, when we look at the funding or when we look at you know some of these like you know groups funding or like even the governments funding the the most crucial aspect is the ideology which is working behind i have worked in jammu and kashmir over the last 3 4 years and uh, five years must say and you know i have come across a very simple fact that some of the groups you know which uh, Are working as a very legal entity, like, you know, and they have tie ups with the government, they have links with the government. But their core belief in a very extremist, in a very Salafi, Wahhabi strain of Islam, that is something which needs to be taken care of. And until and unless they continue to stick to that, so they are bound to get back to something which is very extremist or something which is ultimately aiding and supporting these terror groups. Whatever funding, whatever charity is coming through these religious groups or the charities working with some religious association or GAF, it is bound to and it is, you know, it, by default, it has to go into something which is either extremist or which is either related to terror groups. Because again, once again, the linkages go to the ideology. In a Salafi ideology, the Shias have no right to exist. If you talk, I have spoken to their, clerics and all, they very seriously argue that the problem is that, I mean, if uh, if you go to the very rigid interpretation, not a rigid, a very, I would say, fundamentalist interpretation of non-Muslims, they will have to live like a dhimmi and they will have to pay taxes to live as a citizens in a uh, caliphate-controlled territory, or even the non-conformist Muslims, which includes the Barelvi or the Sufi Muslims of India, or the Shias or you know, uh, they don't have a right to exist as Muslims. The problem is the ideology. So I guess you know we need to educate the lawmakers that any organizations which may be existing as a completely welfare entity, but as long as they continue to stick to that ideology, there is a problem.
0: Uh, that that actually leads to one other audience question I'll ask. Um, um, is Qatar's aim in these donations mainly advancing Qatar's or radical Islam's objectives? I guess I would say you know I guess the, the better way to ask that I, I would say. Um, is, you know, can you tell the difference between Qatar's um, interests and Qatar's ideology? Might be another way to putting that.
2: If I may quickly take this, I think it's important to understand the smoke machines that Qatar employs. They have an incredible airline that always wins awards, Qatar Airways, sponsoring sports, um, sponsoring media, sponsoring universities. Qatar portrays itself as this patron of arts, of the sports, of modernity. But at the end of the day, at the same time, it's still funding radical ideologies. And we have to reconcile the charity that Qatar is ultimately sponsoring versus the ideologies that are counterintuitive that they're also sponsoring. And when we understand these two together, we realize that often a lot of Qatar charades are simply smoke machines designed to disguise what its true ideologies are, which are Islamist in nature.
0: Yeah. Um, I think we have time for one more question here. Um, The US has a large air base in Qatar, which you guys have mentioned before, uh, I believe you did, Jordan, um, and it needs to protect and might make it difficult to challenge Qatar in these issues. Is there anything that can be done, do you think, to change that dynamic?
2: Jordan, or anybody else? I think we need, to, we need to be very careful regarding who Qatar's allies are. At the end of the day, Qatar pretends to be an ally for the United States and an aid in helping mediate the, the situation regarding the Taliban in Afghanistan. But at the end of the day, it also offered safe haven to many of the Taliban's leaders. Um, it's also been rumored that Qatar has supported the, um, the IRGC And so we have to continue balancing the benefits of uh, Qatar's incentives and understanding the security threats and the security threats are very real. All
0: right, that's just about time for today. Thank you very much for all of Uh,
3: uh, these. Can I just make a point before we wrap up?
0: Real quick, we have to go in just a few seconds.
3: Yes, yes. So actually, you know, in my findings, I came across that most of the organizations who getting funding in India, they were changing names. They were not existing in public domains. And the intelligence and investigative agencies, uh, they either had a very poor track record of them or they were simply not aware. So there's a very strong likelihood that some of these groups may route this money from India, taking advantage of the apathy of the intelligence agencies. And this money may end up in the U.S. through some of these uh, I would say you no, know, uh, the remote channels are coming from India because in the US, there's a much more rigorous investigation. understand.
0: Anyhow, thank you very much for a fascinating webinar. We have to uh, get, get on today, but thank you, Martha, Jordan, and for your for coming on and thanks for discussing this important issue. I'm sure we'll be hearing more about it in the future. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you.